Valley Boys, The Bike Squad, The Crackdown by CMPD. Hour number three, welcome. Pete Callender here, News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Uh, a couple months ago, I guess, it was over the summer, spent a good bit of time talking about this uh, this trend this phenomena occurring, not just in Charlotte, but in other cities of these uh, bicyclists and other, I guess they were like, uh, there were some like moped users, scooter drivers, ATV riders, dirt bikers, whatever. There were a whole bunch of these guys driving around on these non-car vehicles, right? Bicycles and the like. No unicycles, though. I never saw or heard any reports of unicyclists joining these uh, uh, these these art form protests against the vehicle. That's what they're pitching it as in this piece over at Queen City Nerve, qcnerve.com. Uh, cycling as an art form is a big uh, bio piece, almost a hagiography here of uh, Backwheel Rich, a.k.a. Richard Flood. Uh, who was one of the people arrested by CMPD, but he was also uh, a guy that got a lot of photos taken of him by this member of the bike squad. So the bike squad were the uh, the protesting uh, the, when they were during the summer of love and the protesters were all like descending on various government buildings in a totally non-insurrectionist kind of way. Uh, and they were just, you know, marching on places and yelling at people, maybe engaging in some mostly peaceful violence. Uh, they had the bike squad around them. And uh, I don't know if uh, they engaged in the kind of behavior I saw a similar bike squad engage in in Asheville at the time, which was to dogpile the cops. Yeah, that was that was interesting. They would dog. They, they would actually call that out. They call for the dogpile. So if the cop. Uh, or cops saw somebody behaving badly during a protest, the cops would go and try to get the bad actor. And then the the bike squad group would scream out, dog pile, dog pile. And then everybody would just jump on top of the cops, which, you know, I never had the talk with my folks, but I always just assumed that's a good way to get yourself arrested or killed is to jump on top of a cop. You know, he's got a gun, right? You are aware of that? Okay. So, uh, they, they would just dogpile and they would like throw bikes on top of them and that sort of thing. Now, ostensibly, the bike patrol folks were there to make sure that the cars driving down the road who found themselves, you know, stopped and swarmed by the protesters who then began, you know, beating on the cars, threatening the people inside the cars. Like the bike squad was there to make sure that that happened and that the cars couldn't behave dangerously by trying to escape the mob. Right. So the bike squad. And so this guy, Ryan Allen, was in one of the bike squad here in Charlotte. And he saw back wheel rich and rich was one of the wheelie boys and the wheelie boys would ride along with the protesters and the bike squad. And they became friends. And so Ryan Allen, the photographer, has seen flood back wheel rich as a sort of muse over the last year. The wheelie, what the wheelie boys represent is important for both artistic and social reasons. By the way, I filed this entire story under the category of art by explanation. If you cannot identify immediately that something is art, 
then your explanation is pointless to me because the art should speak for itself. A person riding a bicycle is not art. Unless they're doing it maybe like dressed up in a costume, maybe they're painted like the Blue Man Group, something like that. But it's performance art, Pete. You just don't understand. See, what this is is a sort of urbanist protest of a car-centered world. This is the revisionism being applied now. Oh, that's he's making some larger issue against the car-centric society. The photographer, former member of the bike squad, not backwheel rich, Ryan Allen says, they provide inconsistency to a daily routine. And to me, it's a metaphor of life. You have a plan. You're going to do something. And then traffic messes you up and it deteriorates your whole mindset. Oh, okay, so yes, let's induce more of that against you, shall we? Yes, let's, let's further deteriorate your whole mindset. Because now not only do you have to deal with the vehicles where people are abiding the rules of the road, where there is some sort of uh, you know, structure to the chaos, right? So it's not completely Mad Max. Now you're going to uh, introduce the Mad Max dynamic into the behavior on the streets. Oh, it's performance art. See, making you so mad that you are contemplating seriously driving over somebody because you feel threatened by them and their pals, right? Or they're riding their bicycle or motorcycle directly onto you or into uh, the front of your car, playing a game of chicken with you. That's, that's a healthy expression for the society to pursue. It's not that. You guys are just engaging in thuggery. That's what you're doing. That's all you're doing. You're bullies. That's all. You're, you're not superior. You don't occupy any kind of uh, you know, morally preferred space. Your form of art is not art. It's bullying. It's uh, antisocial behavior. It's rude. It's disrespectful. So now Backwheel Rich says that he has been staying off his bike lately, especially since his arrest in July, because he still faces felony charges related to a past incident in which police accused him of hit and run on a dirt bike. The pedestrian victim reportedly suffered a brain injury in that incident. It's art, don't you know? Sorry, you got a TBI, but I had to perform my art when I ran you over. Break eggs for omelets and all that, you know? Ikifu on Twitter says, Pete, so basically this is just what happens to skater punks too. It is! Skater dudes, skater punks, they've been dealing with this kind of you know, harassment from the fuzz. They've been dealing with this for decades. And they, w- they would have you believe that we don't do anything wrong. We're just out here skating, man. We're not messing with anybody. Yeah, well, I mean, except for the, you know, the damage to the people's properties and the, the tagging of buildings and all that stuff. I mean, they're, like, if you want to play the part, you cannot be upset when people believe that you are the part. I'm sorry. And I'd say that as one who used to skateboard. I mean, it was a very long time ago. As for those adults who are listening, police or otherwise, what's his message? What's Backwheel Rich's message to us? Quote, 
One last thing I would have to say, if something do happen, I know it's hard to not do this because they do this with not just only bicyclists, but pretty much any group is guilty by association. But I would like for the people and police in general to actually look into who is actually doing it and not the whole group as one, because it's not the whole group out there doing that. If we're not impeding traffic, just let us ride. Okay. Your terms are acceptable, sir. As you, as the ambassador for the wheelie boys and the bike squad and the, the people who are swerving cars and I guess even those who are running down people giving them brain injuries, as their ambassador, your terms are acceptable. If you are not impeding traffic, you are free to ride. But if you are impeding traffic, right, huh? then you are not. I think these are actually the laws already. You might want to take a look into that. I'm not an expert, but I'm pretty sure these rules already exist. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I don't know who needs to hear this, but no, terrorizing people in Uptown Charlotte and South End, whether you're on a bicycle or not, terrorizing motorists is not art. It's just not. Got a tweet here from App Patriot Girl. Pete, I have seen those guys. One Saturday morning, I was going down 7th Street, and two dozen of these guys were riding down the middle of the road in traffic doing wheelies and such. I had no idea who they were, but it was definitely not safe. Uh, Speaking of not safe, New York State, I guess, is now no longer as safe as it could be because the governor has finally ended the COVID-19 state of emergency there. See, so we weren't the absolute last. I mean, New York... Theirs lasted longer than North Carolina's did. I'm sure it has nothing to do with the election uh, that Kathy Hochul is uh, facing. I'm sure it's completely coincidental to that. Um, What else? Oh, we are going to have, by the way, programming note Thursday. um, I mean, I will have a show, so it's not really a programming note. But if you're looking for something to do on Thursday, uh, join me up at Davidson College. I'll be moderating a debate between... Two U.S. Senate candidates. No, not Sherry Beasley and Ted Budd, but rather uh, Shannon Bray, the Libertarian, and Matthew Ho, the Green Party candidate. So uh, it's a forum. It's not a debate. It's a forum. Uh, But we'll discuss, you know, the plight of the third party candidates in North Carolina, getting ballot access and all that, but also their stances on issues and the like. Uh, It's free and open to the public. Uh, It's on it's like seven o'clock on Thursday. Um, Now, Ted Budd. And Sherry Beasley are apparently going to debate. We're just not sure when. Here is the Fox 46 story. After saying Friday afternoon that he was considering his options to debate, Ted Budd, the Republican candidate for U.S. Senate, has agreed to meet Democrat Sherry Beasley, his chief opponent in November, on the debate stage. Sponsored by Spectrum. The News and Observer of Raleigh reported this morning that Ted Budd's campaign had reached an agreement with Beasley on everything but the date. Although sometime in October is the plan. But we'll see. This emerged after Beasley's campaign slammed Budd for, quote, flat out refusing to debate in the proposed event 
sponsored by the North Carolina Association of Broadcasters, which historically had sponsored the debate. Okay, so a couple things. First off, uh, I don't think Ted Budd's campaign caved because Sherry Beasley was slamming him for refusing to debate. If Ted Budd was ahead by enough points, he would not be debating. I think that was made perfectly clear in the primary. But this this is still a toss-up race, as best I can tell. Looking at the trend lines on the polls, uh, nobody is a clear front-runner, but they're basically tied, which I think probably is of benefit to Bud more than Beasley. Um, I am confused, though, on the timeline here as it is um, described by Fox 46. The statement from uh, Ted Budd's campaign came after Ted Budd told WGHB that he was open to this and looking at various proposals and said that the campaign was continuing to negotiate with Spectrum. Before meeting voters at Kickback Jack's restaurant in Greensboro, Ted Budd had said he probably was not going to accept a debate sponsored by the North Carolina Association of Broadcasters that Beasley had accepted two weeks prior. Friday was the deadline extended to Bud after his campaign said there would be no decision about a debate until after Labor Day. Okay, so the first thing they said, the Bud campaign said, was no debate until, uh, no decision about whether we're going to participate till after Labor Day. So they extended the deadline for him to decide. Then, apparently, at this campaign event, he says, I'm probably not going to accept it. But then, later on, his campaign spokesman, Jonathan Feltz, said that he had called the broadcasters to decline, but then felt shares emails that were from Wednesday that say, no, we are open to it and uh, we can do this. But October 5th, uh, that's the Jewish high holiday of uh, Yom Kippur. So uh, they're kicking around some other dates. So which is it? Did you say no? Did you say yes? But like I said, I'm unclear on the timeline. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, so I guess they're having a debate, Ted Budd and Cherry Beasley, but I'm not really sure. We still got like another month before I guess we find out or... I don't know. Maybe we'll find out when they get a date. I, I, I don't know. It's not very clear based on the story at Fox 46, but it's not their fault. It's it's unclear because of the timeline that they've laid out here where on Wednesday, Ted Budd's campaign spokesman, Jonathan Feltz, shared emails with the News and Observer from Wednesday, and the emails were to Spectrum News to confirm that Bud would debate Beasley on air October 5th. He sent that Wednesday. But the campaign spokesman also said Friday that he had called the broadcasters to decline. So I'm not really sure what's going on. But they also then said in another email that uh, unlike other candidates in this race, Ted Bud has no objections to the Libertarian and Green Party nominees participating in the debate. Ooh. 
See, that could be a follow-up story. That's what you call in the biz a story that's got legs. Because you can do another story off of this one, which is what? Go ask the Beasley campaign. Are you okay with the Libertarian and the Green Party candidate participating in the debate too? Why, why not? Easy story to turn. Feltz also said, this is the Bud campaign spokesman, uh, the reason the debate has not been announced was because it was realized that October 5th was Yom Kippur, Jewish holiday, and uh, they're looking at alternate dates and times, uh, which they proposed to Spectrum. So they're hammering out the details. Okay. It is also unclear whether the Spectrum, or I guess whether Spectrum News, has invited Libertarian Shannon Bray, or Green Party candidate Matthew Ho. But Ho told WGHP in an email that, quote, my campaign has not been contacted about being included in a debate. We, of course, would accept such an invitation. What do I always say? Elections are about what media make them. This is a good example of it. You're trying to put together a debate. You've got four parties that are going to be on the ballot, why not have all four candidates on the stage? Bud has taken his argument to the people. According to the story, he has joined Beasley on the campaign trail in the past couple of weeks. Okay, that is, uh, I would submit that is uh, an inaccurate framing. Ted Bud has been on the campaign trail. He's been campaigning. In fact, that's the reason why he couldn't debate everybody in the primary is because he was out on the campaign trail. So it's and it's not that, you know, she's been out doing all this work and Ted Bud's just been like, I don't know, sitting by the pool with a drink with the umbrella in it and whatever. No, he's been out campaigning too. And then the very next sentence, they say both of them are hopscotching across the state. Each proclaims to have visited all 100 counties. Okay. Bud stopped in Davidson County on Thursday morning before working the room at the sports bar Kickback Jacks. And he spent about 10 minutes covering much of the same ground about inflation, immigration, crime, and education. The red meat issues that Republicans everywhere try to keep in the focus. Again, like the overt political strategy here that Republicans don't care about these issues. They're simply just using them. And the use of the term red meat right there is sort of the uh, that's the tell. Does Sherry Beasley engage in any kind of red meeting? What do you call that? Red red meat uh, dispersal, right? Does she do that? Does she toss the red meat to her folks or blue meat, I guess? I don't know. Would would that? Yeah, I know. That sounds pretty gross. Uh -uh. Um, these These are, quote, red meat issues because they are issues that people care about. Inflation is an issue that people care about. If you look at the polling, the economy, inflation... These are issues that people care about. That's why Ted Budd is trying to talk about them, because that's what people who wish to represent others try to do when they say, hire me to represent you. What are the big issues? This is what I think we should do about it. Vote for me, right? Like, that's the whole nature of the campaign. Sherry Beasley, is she throwing around red meat talking about abortion access? Is that a red meat issue for Democrats? Sure. I guess, but it's also what Democrats are most energized by. So she's shoring up the base by talking about those issues. No. And on inflation and the economy, it's not a great scenario to be running as a Democrat because the Democrats control 
the House and the Senate and the White House. And so you probably don't want to highlight a bad economy because people might blame your party for it. But also talked about fentanyl and illegal border crossings. And then at the end of the story, (laughs) elections are about what media make them. Two things Ted Budd did not mention to the crowd, at least not in his speech, were issues Republican candidates are repositioning this fall. Abortion rights and how to handle issues involving former President Donald Trump. Um, under questioning, so I'm guessing he talked to reporters before the event or after, Bud said that Democrats' position on abortion for everyone at any stage is out of touch with North Carolinians. Now that decision has moved from a decision by nine people in 1973, the Supreme Court, Roe v. Wade, to everybody through state legislatures. Yes. So why would a U.S. Senate candidate need to discuss the state issue? Right? That's what it means, guys. The fact that you think that the abortion topic should be front and center in a U.S. Senate race indicates more of your bias than it does the candidate's desire to run from the issue. He did answer your question, and the answer, which is the same answer that conservatives have been giving for literally decades, which is, this is a matter for the people in the states to determine, not the federal government, not the Supreme Court. So it's not like he's dodging it, I don't think. But again, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of you know, conservative first principles. Also, what issues involving former President Donald Trump is he talking about? Was he asked about? We don't know. But I would submit that probably has more to do with the courts at this point. Donald Trump's not on the ballot. Nobody is. Yeah, but he's not actually. So let's see what the courts do. But right now I'm running my campaign for U.S. Senate to represent the people of North Carolina. But again, I know you want to talk about these issues because the Democrat wants to talk about these issues, right? That's why you're asking me these questions. See, that's the way you answer these questions to the reporters that ask them of you. You say, look, this is a state issue. That's an abortion. Donald Trump, that's a court issue. And I know that the Democrats want to talk about those things, which is why you're asking me about these things. Why don't you go ask them about abortion on demand through the ninth month of pregnancy? Why don't you ask Sherry Beasley about that? Because I'm going to on the debate stage, you might want to give her a heads up so she has an answer ready to go. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Developing story today, the North Carolina Supreme Court, by the way, two of these seats up for election this November. Both of the seats held by Democrats currently. One is retiring, Robin Hudson, uh, who wrote this order I'm about to read. Um, The other is Sam Irvin, the fourth, and uh, he's running for re-election. So the Supreme Court of the state of North Carolina has voted four to three along party lines to hear oral arguments in October in a lawsuit challenging the state's Photo Voter Identification Law. The vote split along party lines with Democrats supporting the October hearing. Does this sound like deja vu to you? Like, Didn't we just have something about photo ID? You're not crazy. Well, actually, I don't know. You may be. I don't, I don't think you are. But you're not crazy. 
we actually have had a ruling in a photo voter ID case. It's a different case, though. That one, again, a party line vote, set up this brand new three-pronged test. They just conjured it up and they sent it back down to a trial court uh, to decide on the photo ID and whether or not it was uh, essentially a usurper legislature because the legislature that put the vote up to us and then we decided as voters, yes, we want photo ID and um, an income tax cap of 7% rather than 10%, um, we reduced it. They want all of that thrown out because the legislature that put it to voters was elected via districts that were later determined to be gerrymandered districts. That's a different case. This case is about the photo ID itself. And by the way, we did get the the hand-wringing, pearl-clutching, Pollyanna-esque, uh, gosh, I just can't understand, from our pal Travis Fain at WRAL, who's like, I don't understand why we just can't find some sort of bipartisan agreement on photo ID. See, once again, is another example there. Uh, and he put this up on Twitter. It's another example of how apparently reporters, once they get into this line of work, they have to choose. Do you know the political motivations of Republicans or do you choose to know the political motivations of Democrats? And apparently they always want to know the political motivations of Republicans because they always seem to know what those are, but they can never figure out any political motivation for Democrats. Why won't Democrats come around on creating a bipartisan photo ID requirement? I just don't get it. It's a brain buster. We may never know. So here is what Justice Robin Hudson, the Democrat, here's what she wrote for the majority. In light of the great public interest in the subject matter of this case, the importance of the issues to the constitutional jurisprudence of the state and the need to reach a final resolution on the merits at the earliest possible opportunity before our election, this case shall be scheduled for oral arguments as soon as practicable and then uh, gives a date range of October 3rd um, through October 18th. Chief Justice Paul Newby, who beat Cherry Beasley for the chief justice role, he wrote for the three dissenting Republican justices, quote, once more, the majority expedites the hearing of a case where no jurisprudential reason supports doing so. We've got the election in November. And you're you're expediting this case. You're 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 moving it forward so as to hear the oral arguments before the November election. Again, I couldn't possibly guess as to why Democrats might want that happening before they get voted, I mean, before the election. He says this actually, though, is likely to create voter confusion. Absolutely it will. Absolutely it will. Every single election cycle, I get asked by people on Twitter, in emails, or on phone calls to the show, I always get asked, Pete, how come I'm not having to show my ID? People remember voting for voter ID. People remember it passing. And people want to know why they're not being asked to provide voter ID. I have to say, well, Democrats sued. It's been tied up in legal limbo ever since. So hearing this case right before the, or during I mean, October 3rd through the 18th, uh, I mean, we could be in early voting and they're going to hear arguments. He also points out, Justice Newby does, 
that this does not give plaintiffs any new relief that they do not already enjoy. Because the the Supreme Court already sent the issue back down to a trial court in that other case. There's a permanent injunction in favor of the plaintiffs up until now. That remains intact. There's nothing happening right now before the election. So why would you advance this? Why would you boost it forward to the 3rd of October? We all know why. All right. See you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.